Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. And I wanted to start this sunny day. Well, it's sunny in Dublin anyway. I hope the sun is shining wherever you are. I wanted to start this lovely day with some good news. It's great news, actually. After a period poverty was raised by an employee as an issue that affected customers, Little Ireland has said it will start providing free boxes of sanitary pads or tampons to girls and women as part of a new programme targeting period poverty. And they were helped to facilitate this by the people in Homeless Period Ireland, that's Claire Hunt's organisation, that have done so much in this area. Circa Pollock reported in the Irish Times this week that Lidl are introducing a new coupon scheme that will enable girls and women to access free sanitary products using the Little Plus app each month. From April 19th, so this week, women will be able to sign up to receive the monthly coupon, which they can then use from May 3rd in 168 stores across the country. And this latest move makes Lidl the first major retailer in the world to offer free period products in stores. That's what the company has said anyway. And they are also committed to making quarterly donations of sanitary products to the Simon communities of Ireland to ensure people experiencing homelessness and who may not have access to a smartphone can also access the free products. They're also working with the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. I wish it wasn't called Ladies, but it is. Anyway, they're also working with the Women's Gaelic Football Association to provide period products to clubs around the country while also continuing to give these essential items to its own workforce, according to a statement from the group. Now, if you're not familiar with period poverty, just a quick definition, it's defined as the inability to afford safe, hygienic, sanitary products, and it's internationally recognised as a health and social issue. Research done by Plan International in Ireland found that almost 50% of girls aged between 12 and 19 found it difficult to pay for sanitary products, while one in 10 of those surveyed said they were forced to use a less suitable sanitary product because of the high monthly costs. And the research also found 61% of Irish teenage girls felt too embarrassed to talk about their period. So there's a lot of issues there. And this is one way um, that a company is trying to address them. And we're delighted to hear this. Well done, Lidl Ireland. We hope more retailers and more organisations and institutions will follow your lead This is bloody good news, if you don't mind me saying. Now, today's episode is a really important one. Last weekend, you might have seen an article in the Irish Times by Jennifer O'Connell about a young woman called Alicia O'Sullivan, who is 19 years old and is a victim of identity theft. Images from her Instagram were stolen and photoshopped onto photos of nude young women, which were then used to create a fake online profile. Now, Alicia went to the guards about it and her complaint just wasn't taken seriously. So there is a lot to be talked about here. Um, In today's episode, Jennifer O'Connell talks to Alicia O'Sullivan and is also joined by Labour Senator Ivana Bacic. Ivana's party, of course, first introduced the online harassment bill 
which came into force earlier this year. The law is named after 21-year-old Nicole Fox, who died in 2018 following years of online bullying. After her own experience, Alicia O'Sullivan formed a campaign group. It's called Safety Over Stigma. It involves over more than 30 people, some of whom have been targeted in this kind of scam. And she's campaigning for better training of Gardaí, for the education of young people in online behaviour and digital literacy. And she's also trying to lobby social media companies to take more responsibility for what people are allowed to post on their platforms. It's a really important conversation. It shows why this issue can have such a devastating effect on people's lives and it needs to be taken seriously. Here they are, Alicia O'Sullivan, Ivana Bacic, in conversation with Irish Times journalist Jennifer O'Connell. Alicia O'Sullivan is a 19-year-old first-year law student at UCC. She's an activist, a soon-to-be podcaster and a climate change campaigner. She's also education officer with the Irish Secondary Students Union. And like many of us, she has a public Instagram account with about 4,000 followers and she uses it to post stories about her climate work, about mental health issues and the occasional selfie taken on holidays or before a night out. Alicia, take me back to the morning of Thursday, April the 8th. You woke up um, a little bit late, maybe about 11 a.m. And and like most of us, you reached for your phone. And and what happened then? Yeah, um, I suppose like any, well, maybe like any person, definitely any 19 year old, I woke up, um, had a bit of a sleep in half 10, 11 o'clock and reached for the phone. um, And yeah, and like very strange number of messages for that time in the morning anyway. um, particularly you know friends and family and then people I hadn't spoken to in years um on Instagram and people had messaged me on Snapchat and on WhatsApp as well um and of course just seeing the amount of messages I got an awful fright thinking geez maybe I sent something maybe something I meant to send to my friend I put on my story or something um but I thought geez that's very weird and started clicking into them and it was all the same Alicia um someone has made a fake profile of you um you know, um, they're putting up uh, your photos. And um, I was obviously very anxious and I was like, oh, this is not great um, and not a great thing to wake up to. And then um, I couldn't see the profile um, myself, even though it was still active. And then I started to receive the screenshots of what was being posted on the stories, um, particularly of the account. Um, and it just went from something that was bad and it just went to worse very quickly um and yeah it was just horrific they were just you know nude photos of girls um from the neck down um just very illicit photos um you know purporting them to be me under my name with all my other photos from my Instagram um and yeah it was just it was just so distressing something to wake up to in the morning you know so let's describe the the screenshots that you you you've seen um a little bit because you've sent some of them on to me. So there are photos of you which were taken from your Instagram account, which are legitimate photos of you fully clothed, um, and then there are also semi naked photos of women whose face is not visible. Um, and it says things like there was one story, I think it was, um, and it was a photograph of, of a woman and you can just see naked breasts. And the caption reads, are you ready for me tonight? Watch out to my Admire Me VIP page for my surprise content. Had you ever heard of Admire Me VIP? No, uh, I'd never heard of it. I actually was unaware that it was um, like I assumed it was the the link or they were trying to sell something. Um, I had figured that out of my own kind of sense. Um 
it was until I had met with the guards on the Saturday um, that they made me aware that it was a website similar to OnlyFans, which people would probably be more aware of, um, kind of a, a subscription-based website where people put up photos of themselves. Um, and I, I understand that a lot of them are, are quite sexual photos and, and some quite, you know, people um, nude so, yeah, I, I dug into it a little bit. Admire Me VIP is an 18 plus subscription only website, which describes itself as a platform for VIPs to share their most intimate and secret content. Um, and in the site FAQs, it describes itself a little bit more bluntly as a platform made by a sex worker for sex workers. So what had happened to you here was probably one of the worst things that, that any of us can imagine, because it was identity theft, but it was also non-consensual sharing of explicit images, which were not you, but were purporting to be you with the purposes of financial exploitation. Had you ever heard of anything like this happening to anybody before? Um, not really, no. Um, like, I suppose being a public account, I think a lot of people, like definitely my photos have been used on fake profiles before. Um, but like, you know, that doesn't really bother me. I mean, because the photos are just normal photos. Um but no, I, I had never heard of something to this extent, to be honest. Um, and it came as quite of a shock. And I'm, I've seen, you know, profiles pretending to be girls for sure. Um, but yeah, nothing to this kind of extremity, really. So here we are on Thursday morning. You've just woken up and you've, you've realised that this has happened. What, what did you do? What were your first steps? Uh, well, I got out of bed fairly quick, let me tell you. Um, I got up, I... I went downstairs uh, my mom and dad and my brother were there and I I told them straight away um what was happening um they were obviously weren't aware of it um and then you know we were kind of saying okay what do we do you know we were all just trying to think we were all a little bit I think particularly my parents you know were a little bit shocked because it's not something at all that they would ever witness or be aware of whereas the online world um you know these kind of horrible things do happen um Whereas for them, it's just a whole other thing. So I rang my friend, Harry McCann, um, and I just said, you know, what what can I do here? Um, there was already so many people reporting it, obviously. And then he told me to make like a formal complaint to Instagram, which I did where I had to, you know, um, say that, you know, someone was impersonating me, which is how it fell under their um, regulations and then upload a picture of my ID. Um, and then I got locked him on a, out of my own Instagram account, but that's a whole other version of the story um and then I suppose we had a conversation about ringing the guards um because the page had been up for hours at that point it had been um my cousin who saw it messaged me and he said that they had friend they had requested to follow him at seven or eight o'clock in the morning so this was now 11 12 o'clock um so you know we were a bit anxious that although a lot of people were reporting it it was still up so we had a conversation about who to ring and, um, you know, we have cousins who are in the guards and we know detectives. Um, and I just decided to ring, you know, the my own local guard station. I got no response. So I I just rang, um, you know, 999 and got through to the guards and my local station then rang me back. Um, and yeah, just had a conversation with them then about what had happened. Just for people who wouldn't know who Harry McCann is, he's, he's the founder of the Digital Youth Foundation and would be really, really clued in on, on digital scams. And I think you weren't the first person he had come across who'd suffered something like this. Um, it's a fairly new, it's, it's a recently established, but, but quite, I think, successful scam. Um, and I've come across articles on the BBC and on Vice News um, describing basically what happened to you, happening to other women around the world. So it's happened in Canada, in the United States, in Thailand, in the United Kingdom and in France. 
Um, and Vice News describes it thus. The fake Instagram accounts use the same name, profile photo and a similar username to the authentic account. To attract an audience, the Instagram account strategically follows hundreds of users that follow and interact with the authentic user on Instagram. So it's basically it targets your own followers. Um, a similar bio to the authentic account is, is also used. And that happened in your case. You can't really tell the difference between the bio and the profile name and your, your genuine Instagram yeah. account. And then it says after creating the account, the authentic account is blocked by the scam account, stopping the authentic account from knowing if it that it still exists or if it has been deleted. And again, that's what happened to you. You, you just said you weren't able to, to get onto the Instagram account. So you would imagine that given that this is fairly well known and, and a, a scam that's happened worldwide, when you went to the guards, they knew exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, I suppose I um. Uh, it was put to me as it's called honey potting, um, where you know you have a couple of thousand followers maybe, and it's nothing to do with your photos or you or what you do. It's just about the amount of followers you have, um, and the engagement you have on the account, and that they would build it up and then maybe sell the account for a couple of thousand euros. That's how it was put to me, um, very similar to to that sort of thing, um, the same thing essentially. Yeah, I suppose I rang. Um, the first thing that was said was, um, you know, I don't know what Instagram is. And, you know, I kind of, I didn't, I suppose I'm, I was just all a bit naive in the situation, to be quite honest with you. Um, and my brother was instantly like, well, that conversation isn't going to be very substantial, is it? And even my dad was like, sure, where are you going, going into them if they don't even know what Instagram is? Um, but I suppose, look, at that point, I didn't have any other choice. I had rang and they rang me back. And I was like, look, sure, even if they don't know what it is, like, you know, maybe they can just help me anyway, maybe get on to someone else. So, yeah, I went, we had scheduled for half two. Um, sure, it was edging on that time anyway, by the time we'd all made all these phone calls. Um, and I went in, my dad drove me in and he offered to go in with me. And I said, no, sure, I'm grand. Like, I'm a very independent person, um, if you can't tell already. Um, you know, I, I'm well able to speak for myself. I didn't really need someone to hold my hand, you know what I mean? Um, and not that there would have been anything wrong with someone needing someone going in with them, but I just I just didn't think it necessary, to be honest, um, and with COVID and everything. So it went in, um, there's just two male guards, and yeah, I suppose it felt very much like there was a wall up from the minute I went in, and I'm I'm... I can sense things fairly well, particularly with the work I do, like you mentioned. Um, I can tell when someone has a wall up. I can tell when someone isn't open to listening because um, that's all what I do. I'm, I'm always listening to people. And yeah, there was a wall up as if like I hadn't even walked in the door yet and like there was going to be no movement on my my issue. Um, and yeah, I suppose I just explained what happened just like there to you and the response was there was a bit of a pause and well what can we do and I was just like well aren't you supposed to be telling me that and you know you're not in the right place we're not the right people all of these things were explicitly said um and to be honest I came in anxious but calm because I knew I thought okay I'm going to someone something will hopefully be done or it can be noted down at least um and I was quite calm coming in I hadn't been crying as such and I actually I'm very I actually have quite thick skin believe it or not um and I actually broke down inside there like I I was so so upset at the things they were saying to me 
Um, and to honest, even thinking about them now upsets me because it's it was just so horrific. Um, you know, the, the they didn't ask to see the account. Oh, I had screenshots. At that point as well, the account was probably still active. Um, they didn't ask to the, for the username of the account. They didn't ask to see the screenshots of what was being put up. Um, the the whole conversation was about, well, um, why is your account on public? I was like, well, the work I do, I want to have my account public. What sort of work do you do? I was like, oh, like I'm an activist and I work in a union and a lot of the stuff I do, I'd like it to be public because it's about awareness and getting people on board. Um, and then it was like, well, um, you shouldn't post things, you know, how many followers do you have? I said, I have just over 4,000. Well, there's not many people who would walk in with four th- over 4,000 followers. And I was like, I was just, there was a silence. And I was like, I'm sorry, but what does that have to do with it? I was like, it doesn't matter if I have 5 million or zero followers. Someone doing this to me isn't right. And I'd like to know what we can do. That's all I'm here to know. Not any other conversation. And, um, you know, it was said explicitly and it wasn't a question. It was just a statement by one of the guards. Um, well, you shouldn't put up photos um, on a public Instagram account with 4,000 followers that you wouldn't want getting out. That was said. And I just said, I said, I honestly, I said, I, I can't believe this is being said to me. Like I, there is no photos on my Instagram that maybe you could define as provocative, um, certainly not illicit in any way. And I said, even if there was, um, I don't understand what that has to do with the conversation. I'm here because someone has done this to me, not about my Instagram. Um, and it was just a very intense, to be honest, it was a very uncomfortable conversation. Um, and it came to about 30, 40 minutes and I decided to just, to just leave. Um, it wasn't getting any better. Um, I asked, I was like, can we please just talk about what could happen? Is there or not a possibility we could find out who's behind it? Yes or no. It's very simple. And they said, yes. And I said, okay, then how do we do that? And I got a big rigmarole about how you have to go to Instagram to get the data and, I, and and that, you know, sometimes the FBI don't even get that data. And I was like, well, we can try though, right? You just said we can try. So let's try. Um, and to be honest, it just seemed like I was being a hassle. Um, and I was just bringing in a load of paperwork for them. Um, and that, to be honest, it did feel that I was, you know, a 19-year-old girl coming in and very young and... um all of this with a little public Instagram with 4,000 followers. Who do I think I am now complaining about someone doing this to me? That is how it felt. Um, and a lot of ignorance on top of that. And Elisie, before we go to what you did next, because, you know, you're not somebody to take things like that lying down. Um, and you didn't, I'm delighted to say. But I, I want to go to Senator Ivana Batchik. Um, there's two issues here, Ivana, I think. One of them is the question of the law and where a scam like this falls under the law. And then the second question is the treatment that Alicia got when she went to the guards to report it. So w- will you maybe address that? What, what, what are your thoughts as you listen to her uh, describe her experience? 
Thanks, Jennifer. And I suppose the first thing to say is just how full of admiration for Alicia I am. I mean, Alicia, well done for persisting, you know, and for just not letting it go, because this is a very scary sort of uh, um, experience for you. It's also a criminal offence, as you know, and, you know, and, and I am glad that at least we have criminalised it. So, Jennifer, as you've said, you know, there are two things, I suppose, that jump out for me. First is the issue of, well, is this a criminal offence? And yes, it clearly is. We did, in through the Oireachtas, just in the last few months, pass a new law. We call it Coco's Law in memory of Nicole Fox, who died tragically after years of online bullying in 2018. And it's really in her memory that my colleague Brendan Howland in the Dáil and ourselves in Labour, working with Justice Minister Helen McEntee, brought it forward. So we have now an offence of the, uh, uh, an offence, a broadly um, drafted but carefully drafted offence to cover the sort of image-based sexual abuse that you've experienced to Alicia. Uh, that is where somebody uh, distributes an image that appears to be of a person or is of them and that is an intimate image and that has been distributed without their consent. So it's also a form of identity theft, as you've said, but we've covered it as an offence now under our um, under the full title of the Act, which is the Harassment, Harmful Communications and Related Offences Act 2020, or COCO's Law. There was a good deal of publicity around Christmas when we passed that law. And that brings me to your second point, Jennifer, because I think quite a lot of people are now aware that this sort of theft of somebody's image and its use in this sexualized way, a sexually abusive way, that this is now an offence. Uh, but unfortunately, that awareness doesn't seem to have changed the culture within Angarda Shikana. And unfortunately, the experience you've described, Alicia, where you were met with indifference, a dismissive attitude, in actually, the, you know, in, in, really victim blaming, as you've said, you know, some of the comments that were made to you sound as if they were actually seeking to blame the victim. This is very disturbing to hear. But unfortunately, yours is not a unique experience because I have heard even very recently from women who have gone into the, their local Garda station to report sexual offences of varying sorts, ranging from, from sexual abuse uh, online to, the, to physical sexual only to be met with the same sort of dismissive attitudes. So clearly what we need to see is specialist training for the guardie and the taking of complaints or allegations of sexual abuse, including online sexual abuse. But we also do need to see public in, you know, investment now put in by the government into highlighting the fact that we've passed a law, COCO's law, and a big public awareness campaign to deter people from distributing images in this way. You know, I, I think that's hugely important. And I'm glad to say I have now raised this in the Shannad with the Minister for Justice. I know, Alicia, you wrote to her as well. She's very sympathetic to this and, you know, really pushed for COCO's law to come into effect. But the law in itself isn't enough. What we now know is we need specialist training for Gardaí and we need a public awareness campaign to ensure that everyone knows that this is now an offence. And just to commend you again for taking action on this and, and to Jennifer also for bringing it to public attention. I think it's really important people are aware of this. Thank you, Ivana. Well, Alicia, after that really disappointing encounter um, at your local Garda station, you sought advice from a professor at, at UCC, one of your law professors, Louise Crowley, um, and she gave you the same information that Ivana has just given us that, yes, this is actually a crime um, and you can have it pursued by the guards. So what did you do next? Yeah, I suppose um, that was the next uh, shock. Um, not that I'd just been treated the way I was treated, but then to find out that actually I had been given incorrect information about my issue. Um, that, it, you know, I was told it wasn't illegal. There was no statement taken from me. Um, but in fact, it was illegal. A statement should have 
been taken from me and there probably should be a whole investigation happening right now, which isn't happening. Um, and I, I have to say, Louise has just been an amazing support, um, honestly. And I, I just couldn't have asked for a better person to have connected with at that time. Um, so yeah, then on Friday, um, I just went about my business of um, ensuring that I spoke to the right person this time, um, as Louise had um, you know, told me to do. So I, I rang... Um, a station and then they told me to ring another station I rang that station they told me to ring another station so I had to explain what happened to me three times over in the space of a few minutes um which I think is you know like I said I'm a strong person I was able to do it but for a lot of people that is extremely traumatic and should just not be the way it is um but anyways I finally got through to someone um who was telling me again this is not illegal. There's nothing we can do. And I said, look, I don't want to talk to you. I said, put me through to someone who is trained or to be honest, even a female at this point, um, because I, I hadn't spoken to a woman yet and I don't want to make this um, anti-men um, in any sense. But I think it's fair to say that a lot of the time, because most women know someone who's been affected um, or been subject to sexual violence, sexual abuse, that we're all just a little bit more sympathetic to the issue. And that's not me labeling men. It's just, that's just the way the world is. Um, and so I finally, finally got through to a special unit, um, a special criminal unit rang me back. I was speaking to uh, two detectives, uh, both trained and working in this unit. And one had a master's in like forensic science and computers Um. So that was just, yeah. And I, I met with them on the Saturday and they took a statement and, you know, there's a, there's an investigation happening now. Um, and there's, there's steps being taken, which I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about. Um, and you know, the only thing that I will point out there is that on Thursday at 2.30, that account was still up when I entered that Garda station. On Saturday at 6.30, that account had been taken down so there was more chances of finding out who was behind that account on Thursday than there was on Saturday. And, you know, whose fault is that? It's the fault of the two guards I initially met um, and their conduct. So, I, you know, I, I'm not here to try and deter, defer anyone from going to the guards, but I, I just want to, um, you know, obviously with the campaign now that we've launched, I just wanted to bring attention to, you know, the issues that have happened here and the injustices that have happened, to be honest, as well. And we'll talk more about the campaign that you've launched in a moment, because I'm really interested to hear more about that. Um, but I just want to go to a statement that we got from the Garda Press Office. So they did confirm that an injured party, which is yourself, had contact with staff from the Divisional Protected Services Unit in Clonakilty on Friday the 9th of April and met with investigators from the DPSU at Skibbereen Garda Station on Saturday the 10th of April. And as it is an ongoing investigation, the Garda could make no further comment. Um, I did ask them specifically about training for Gardaí on the enforcement um, of the new legislation and a spokesperson said there are currently 27 divisional protective services units operational, at least one DPSU in operation within every Garda division. Approximately 320 personnel are assigned to DPSUs. Personnel assigned to DPSUs have been provided with a bespoke training course consisting of a number of modules addressing issues such as investigation of sexual crime. Ivana, is that enough? Do the Garda need to be doing more? 
Well, thanks, Jennifer. I think it's very helpful. You've read out the statement from the Gardaí and it is also very positive to hear, Alicia, that it is now being taken seriously. And certainly over many years, many of us have made numerous recommendations for reform uh, and for greater training for Gardaí. Back in 1998, I and colleagues in Trinity did a survey of a, a big EU funded study, actually, of the legal process and victims of rape. And we interviewed quite a number of women who had gone through the trial process as complainants. And on foot of that report and on foot of other reports, um, there were there were changes made. The Guardian Inspectorate had also been very critical of the way in which the Guardian were investigating sexual crime. So, you know, the new protect, divisional protective uh, services units are designed to try and fill the gap to ensure that there are specialist guardy with training in place. And actually, Superintendent Declan Daly, who heads it up, is superb and very committed. I've, you know, and I've, he's very, uh, very much involved in lots of initiatives around this. The problem, I think, remains though that the frontline guardy on the desk in each guard station to whom complaints are made—not just the sort of complaint you've made, Alicia, but anyone going in with a complaint of rape or of sexual abuse of any sort, or indeed of harassment and stalking—and we're talking a lot about that at the moment as well. You know, anyone who goes in with these reports, that's the person they meet first. And those guardy on the front desk should at the very least be trained to refer you immediately to the Divisional Protective Services Unit. And that's the, that to me remains the gap in training. And not only that, I suppose, but, you know, very basic training in empathy. I think that's the other thing. That it's not that I, I, it's not that I think it would be pract- so practical to train every individual front desk guardie, every duty sergeant in the sort of technique necessary for taking the statements about ser- you know, serious sexual crime. Because, of course, that's where you do have the specialist units and you do have now, as, you, as, as you've read out, Jennifer, a number of them all around the country. That's very welcome. But really what the front desk guardie need is the training in empathy, to deal empathetically with people who come in and then the training in where to refer the complaint on so that they don't necessarily have to be the ones taking the statement nor indeed should they be but they should know where to refer the person and they should be dealing empathetically and I mean to be fair you know there's an awful lot of front desk guardy who are great but unfortunately you still get these uh, experiences as you've recounted Alicia and as I've heard as I say very recently from others who've gone in with complaints of sexual offences and again simply weren't taken seriously or worse were blamed in some way or made to believe that this was somehow their fault or that they had in some way provoked an attack, a harasser or a stalker or indeed a sexual aggressor. So that's really not acceptable anymore. And that's a very basic level of training I think we should now be calling for. It's quite depressing to think that we're still having these conversations, given that you've been highlighting this issue uh, since the 1990s and that in 2021, uh, somebody like Alicia had to write to the Minister for Justice and on Taoiseach. And, and you use that expression, Alicia, in your letter. You said that you felt as though you were victim blamed. Yeah, I did. And I completely agree with uh, what you're saying in that um, if I had been just treated with a little bit of empathy and had been referred to the correct person, that would have been enough, to be honest. And that's probably, I don't think that's asking for too much either. Um, and I just, to be honest, my my whole reason I'm here and, and wrote isn't about me because unfortunately I've faced that now. It's it's happened to me. There's there's no going back on that. There's nothing that'll ever fix that. Um, but it's for the next person who walks into that uh, Garda station. You know, and I just thought about my neighbor's kids and the kids my mom minds and all that. And then when I tweeted about it, um, I just got so many replies and messages about this happened to me as well. 
um and I went to the guards and and I was treated the exact same way or you know I didn't want to report it because um I knew this sort of thing would happen um and I, I just want an end to that and I think it is happening an awful lot um and I don't think it's every guard either but I think um yeah it needs to end for the next person who walks in man or woman um, and it seems to be unfortunately the sort of thing I've I've been subject to seems to be a lot of young uh, females um to try and obviously sell whatever they're trying to sell so yeah I just for the next person who walks in I think that the the ignorance that I face just just needs to cannot be tolerated and that's why you decided to set up a campaign group tell us about that yeah so um I don't like to complain and not bring forward a solution uh that's just the activist in me um but I I you know I I don't want my story alone I, I if I read it from an outside um I would think wow if this ever happens to me I will never go to the guards and I think that is a fair um you know that's a fair conclusion from reading the the horrificness of the story but I don't want to put that out there I don't want to deter anyone from going to the guards I don't want to be an added reason why women don't report issues of sexual abuse and sexual violence I want to help the problem, um, which is obviously the initial part is the harassment and abuse and bullying online. And then the second part is how it is uh, responded to by the authorities. Um, so about 30 of us now have got together Um, we've set out some goals that were in the letter I wrote. Um, and the goals include, um, first of all, um, educating people on their rights, particularly online and especially about Coco's Law. So similar to what Ivana was saying, a campaign to educate people because I'm a law student and I didn't even know what happened to me was illegal. So like think about the average person. Um, so that's the first bit to give us a bit of the power back. Because if I'd gone in there knowing what, that it was illegal and knowing about the mechanisms, the, um, you know, the, um, the division as well, knowing that that was available to me, um, you know, I could have said these things and maybe it would have got me a bit further. Um, and then the second thing is about the training, uh, similar again to what Ivana was saying, we're on a very similar wavelength, I think, um, um, particularly how to deal with people coming in with um, online sexual abuse um, and these sort of issues, because they seem to be always the issue that, um, well, I mean, I went, I went out feeling worse than when I came in, to be honest. Um, and then the third thing is um, social about social media companies taking a bit more responsibility. Um, I think we've lived far too long um, with no real regulation on the internet um, and it's getting more and more dangerous as the days go on. Um, and I think it's it's about time we do something. So actually, um, a few of us are meeting with um, Malcolm Byrne and Christopher O'Sullivan um, on Thursday um, to discuss um, the online safety and media regulation bill. Um, and to just talk about what happened to me and um, a few people in the group are quite tech savvy. So possibly discuss some things that could be included in that as well. I just want to say as well that we did go to Facebook and um, who represent Instagram is a Facebook owned company. So Facebook's communications team would look after Instagram, too. Um, and they came back with a statement which said that claiming to be another person on Instagram violates Facebook's community guidelines. We have a dedicated team that's tasked with detecting and blocking these kind of scams. And it described how artificial intelligence and machine learning are used to proactively detect bad content before anyone reports it. And automated abuse prevention tools can proactively detect and block fake profiles created to pretend to be women. 
Now, I did ask Facebook, what steps does Instagram intend to take or or does it take already to verify users' identities before allowing them to set up an account? Uh, And how long does it take on average to resolve complaints of fake accounts or accounts impersonating another user? But those questions were not answered. Um, Ivana, what do you think the next steps on this should be? And you you did allude there to to harassment and, and stalking, which is something that we have heard about only earlier this week. Does the legislation that we have go far enough? And if so, what more do we need to be doing as a society to make this kind of behaviour unacceptable? Thanks, Jennifer. And uh, I think, you know, again, Alicia has, is, is really to be commended for setting up a campaign on this and for, again, you know, um, I suppose highlighting the need for people to make complaints to the Gardaí, not to be put off by bad experiences, but actually to do something about it. So I love your your uh, enthusiasm and your energy, Alicia. I think that's brilliant. And I would like to support the campaign Safety Over Stigma any way I can. Uh, so that's great. Um, I think the next steps, though, are that while we've passed Coco's Law, so that's the criminal justice side, um, you know, we now need to be pushing for public awareness. We need to be pushing for guarded training. But also there is that other element that you've mentioned, which is the civil remedies, the power to require companies like Facebook and Instagram, obviously, to take down images or to take down offensive messaging and so on. So that is the online safety and media regulation bill that's coming in. That's currently in scrutiny stages before the, Sh- the Dáil and Shannad, and it will provide for an online safety regulator. So that's the other side of the equation, which is equally important, of course, that there would be civil powers available and, you know, that there would be sanctions where companies don't act swiftly to take down images of this sort or to act against uh, online uh, identity theft. So that's the next stage. Uh, but again, it's all about trying to change attitudes. And we come then to that diff- that you know, related issue of stalking, of harassment. And so I do think we need to look at our laws again there. The Non-Fatal Offences Against the Person Act 1997 created an offence of harassment. In fact, Coco's Law uh, increased the sentence for that to 10 years and uh, and also um, change the definition to make it somewhat broader. So it's not just communication with a person, but also about them. In other words, the sort of, you know, sending Im- intimate images of you to somebody else. That's the kind of thing that would now be covered, that is now covered. However, the issue raised by, again, a couple of very brave young women who are setting up a ca- campaign on this, the issue they've raised is that this to them doesn't encompass or doesn't take sufficiently seriously the sort of stalking, the terrible, horrific and life-threatening stalking to which they were both subjected. Um, and they think that there should be a separate offence of stalking. So again, I'm going to speak directly with the Minister for Justice about this and work with colleagues, of course, to see whether, in fact, we need to create a new offence or whether it's enough to call it aggravated harassment. Certainly, the offence we brought in was designed to deal with a sort of persistent communication. But their point is, I think, that this sort of very violent stalking where, where their homes were being broken into, their office, they were being beset at their workplaces, that this goes beyond uh, persistent communication and that this, this sort of stalking is much more violent. So I think there is a need now for us to review that again. So it's about moving forward with the legislation in all of these cases, but also trying to change attitudes, trying to raise awareness about gender-based violence. And it is a gendered issue, there's no doubt about that. You know, we see, as Alicia said, it's no coincidence that the experience you've had with the Guardi, Alicia, that have been recounted to me by others, have been by young women who've also gone in and often met young male Guardi on the desk who simply don't have that empathy that we've talked about, or indeed the basic knowledge as to where their complaints should be referred. So, you know, it's about training, it's about awareness, and it's also about educating about the reality of gender-based violence and trying to challenge and address gender stereotypes. 
So a lot of work still to be done, clearly. And Alicia, I, before we wrap up, I want to echo what Ivana said about, I really do admire your courage in speaking out about this. And I'm pursuing it too, because I think um, a lot of people, and you know, not even at your age, I think at my age, at any age, would probably have been inclined to just let it go when they were met with that that wall at the first um, the first guard station that you went to. Um, and I've seen as well, since you've shared your story on social media, and I shared it again um, last weekend after I wrote about it for the Irish Times, there are people who are still keen to minimise your experience and to kind of say, well, what do you expect? And, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And we're never going to be able to catch these people. So why are you bothering? So I think if I could ask you just kind of to wrap up by describing what this kind of offence does to somebody, because it isn't just about having your photograph taken and used somewhere else without your permission. It goes much deeper than that, doesn't it? I mean, nowadays, our social media profiles are part of who we are. They're part of our identity. They're part of, I don't like the word personal brand, but, you know, effectively, when you're trying to go for a job or when you're, you know, you're applying to a place in college or whatever it might be, you know that there's, an, there's a chance that a future employer um, is is looking you up online. So can you describe what it feels like to have all of that taken away from you without your permission and without you having any control over how your image is used or what it's used to sell? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, it does go deeper than that. And I think for anyone to dismiss it, and certainly I've noticed that as well, they don't really understand um what what has happened um and and look you'll always get those people um no matter what you're doing um I used to say before you could put up a post saying I want to end world poverty and someone would disagree with it just because it's you know you um and then someone else could put it up and they would be praising them so um look that's always the way that's the way life is and certainly um those people aren't going to stop me to be quite frank with you um and those people have never stopped me before I think look for this to happen to anyone it's it is horrific um it completely um uh, it, it just undermines you as a person um it it makes you anxious about what's being posted um it makes you anxious about who's seen it and who possibly does believe that it's you um you know a lot of people aren't exactly digitally literate um and they just believe everything they see on the internet and they take a quick glance and they they don't really look into things so um it does uh get under your skin and and it does make you a bit more weary I think but um like certainly it's not going to stop me and I suppose not that I'm glad it's happened to me but I'm the type of person who just won't stand for it and I won't stand for being dismissed whether it's the guards or you know, whoever, um, if, if an injustice is done to you, speak up about it. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, and yeah, I just hope that, you know, I've got some absolutely lovely messages from, um, locally where I'm from, from people who you'd never expect to get these sort of messages from and from all across the country. And, um, I'm glad I've spoken up about it actually, because if it does nothing more than, um, if it happens to the next person and, and they Google it or, you know, think, oh, is this illegal? And they see it, um, um, the article that you did, Jennifer, in the Irish Times or something, and they know that, OK, I should speak up about speak up about this. Or if they're dismissed by anyone in life, that they just have maybe a bit more courage. And I think that's just what's important, really. Um, and look, in this day and age, um, there's just so much going on that I think we all just have to stick together and fight for what's right. So that's just what I'm trying to do, a little bit of that anyway. 
Brilliant. Elise, if people want to find out more about the campaign or to connect with you, where can they find you? On social media? Yeah, so um, on Instagram, it's Alicia.O'Sullivan and then I'm not even going to try with the Twitter because it's the uh, phonetic way of spelling my name because everyone gets it wrong. Um, and then the safety uh, over stigma without the E and over um, on Twitter and on Instagram. Brilliant. Alicia O'Sullivan and Senator Ivana Bacic, thank you so much for joining us on the Women's Podcast. That was Alicia O'Sullivan, Ivana Bacic and Jennifer O'Connell there. And thank you so much to all of them, especially Alicia. What a wonderful young woman advocating for these things, especially after everything she's been through. Uh, Safety Over Stigma, that organisation she set up, can be found on safetyoverstigma.ie. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get in touch with us on social media at IT Women's Podcast or email us with suggestions of issues we should be covering on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 